Good morning, everybody. It is great to be back here in Lincoln Park. I missed you guys. I heard last week you guys uh, had a, a great week. I heard that uh, there's a lot of people. It was a lot of fun to be had. Raised a lot of money uh, to, to get a well going, and so that's fantastic. And it's not like I think I heard somebody say it's not a closed door, so we can still continue to give and uh, and give regularly to that great cause. I'm trying to think because I feel like it's like a karaoke Sunday with uh, Tyler up at the table this morning, and so. Uh, so I want to hit a couple of these things for Tyler, because he mentioned shock and awe, you know, for Miles and the family and the scary movies. And so that's why I often recommend uh, that we watch the movie The Passion of the Christ. And so I'm, I'm adding these to the sermon. So I, I want to, you know, Passion of the Christ. Why is Passion of the Christ? Why do you feel it's a great movie that should be watched, well, at least a couple times a year? And I've heard people say, but I don't like to watch it because it makes me feel all squirmy and I just don't like to see it. That's the point. It's difficult to see. It's difficult to watch because you've got to put that image into your mind of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being nailed to a cross, being scourged to, to an inch of his life. And we watch that and our hearts go out and our hearts are broken and, 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 we, and we give thanks to God for that great and mighty sacrifice. But it's a constant reminder in which we live in a society that is so fast-paced that it's hard sometimes to slow down long enough to remember Christ Jesus. That's why we have a, a weekly memorial. And then the other aspect of it was, I'm trying to remember the first one that you wanted me to throw in there. Uh, and, and, and what was the first one? Oh, so I get busy during the week, you know, and it, it's hard to remember, uh, you know, all, all that I need to do, and maybe I'm not hanging out with the right people, maybe I'm not doing this. That's why, did anybody get a call out yesterday? Did that go hand in hand, right? So we did a call out yesterday. Why did I do a call out yesterday? Elders didn't ask me to do it, I just did it on my own. Why? Because to encourage those who are normally sitting next to you. You see around, there's some, uh, some holes in the pews here this morning, is there not? I want you to take stock. Because don't we all kind of sit in the same spots on a regular basis? And I know it's that time of year where we're starting to get the colds and the seasonal flus and the different things that are adding in. But I want you to call to those who are usually sitting close by to you. I want you to call and I want you to check on them later today. Ask them, how are they doing? See how their week's going. Make sure everything's okay. See if there's anything we can do for them. Because, brethren, we are called to be an encouragement to one another, to bear each other's burdens, to love one another. And it starts, first and foremost, with us gathering together here on the Lord's Day. We gather together on the Lord's Day for what person? purpose? Obviously to worship God, but it's so much deeper and bigger than that. Because we come together, as we see the day drawing near, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, to do what? To encourage one another. To lift each other up and encourage one another. So while we are here for worship for God, first and foremost, amen, let's also make sure that each and every time we gather, we are offer some form of encouragement uh, or lifting up of one another. But now we continue on. Now that I finished my, uh, my list that I had to get into my sermon here this morning, and so now we're going to look into 2 Peter. Open your Bibles to chapter 3. I'm going to try to not keep it less, you know, because I didn't get to preach last week, you know, and then sometimes when there's a week in between, I kind of go a little long, but I'm going to try to keep it a little shorter, but if I go long, blame it on Tyler. Um, and as we look at the lesson here this morning, open up to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, and we look at, this is the conclusion of our first and second Peter sermon series. Peter, remember, he's writing this letter to the churches for what reason? 
In this letter, Peter, he reviews some very key points. Some, some key points that, that he needed to make sure that those early Christians understood. And that not just that first generation of Christians, but all future generations of Christians. And when you think about it, the, uh, the apostles, they were kind of like living, breathing Bibles, were they not? The Holy Spirit was living and working through them and was uh, guiding them as they wrote the Holy Scriptures. So they had the living, breathing Bibles. But Peter knew that his time was coming to an end. Paul, at the end, knew his time was coming to an end. And so Peter writes this one last letter before his death to encourage the church. And so when we look at this, if we look at the summary of where we're at so far, in 2 Peter, the first point that we looked at, if you remember, we're either growing spiritually or we're what? We're dying spiritually. And so we need to make sure that we grow and we develop in our faith. Well, in order to grow and develop in your faith, you need to make sure that you look at Christianity as more of a process, right? In a process, there's usually a series of steps that we need to take in order to have a deeper, more committed faith, in order to have a deeper walk with Christ, a more committed walk with Christ. And so we have to grow or we die spiritually. And so if we're not growing and developing, we become stagnant. What happens uh, to living things if left long enough in stagnant water? They begin to die. And Christians begin to die if they allow their faith to become stagnant. That was the first thing that we've looked at so far in uh, 2 Peter. The second thing we've looked at is that Peter reminds us that the scriptures are what? They're inspired. And so at the, I think of 2 Peter chapter 1, we looked at verse 20 and 21 at the beginning of the series, that no prophecy of scripture was ever came about by an act of human will, but men that were moved by the Holy Spirit of God, they did what? They spoke for God. And so we have that, uh, that information recorded for posterity. And then we get to the third aspect that we've been looking at the last couple times I was with you. And that was about false teachers and keeping our guard up and making sure that we don't fall into the temptation, uh, into, the, into the lure of those false teachers. And the Apostle Paul, he warned the, uh, the Ephesian elders about that in Acts chapter 20. And so today we're going to cover chapter 3. And so don't forget that the context that this letter has been written in is that these Christians lived in a time when they were being persecuted. They were being killed. They were being imprisoned. Their families were being broken up. That's the context of the letter of 2 Peter. And when you look at the, uh, the context in which this letter was written in, in the background of which this letter was written, we need to understand, brethren, that there were false teachers who were continuously trying to infiltrate the church for one purpose, to destroy the church of God, to destroy the church of Christ, to bring about its demise. And it's, it's, it's in, in response to this that as we get to chapter 3, that Peter tells us that we are to be discouraged, we shouldn't be disheartened. What we need to do is be ready. Well, I believe 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about that in verse 14 and 15. That we should always be ready to give a defense of our faith and about the hope that resides within us. And that's what he wants those early Christians to know. And that's what he wants every generation of Christians to understand moving forward. And so as far as Peter was concerned, in order to be ready, it meant two things. You have to remain faithful, and you have to remain fruitful. 
Faithful and fruitful. Those are the two areas that we're going to look at here this morning. So let's focus on being faithful until the end. We understand that the enemies of Christianity in this first century, uh, they were the ones who were mocking the hope that we as Christians have in Christ Jesus. Mocking the hope that Jesus was already, uh, that Jesus had already come and gone. You guys must have missed the boat. Because you're still here. And all things continue to go on just like they did from creation. Well, we'll talk about Noah in a little bit, but I think there was some mocking going on probably during the 120 years of, uh, of righteousness and the preaching that he did while he was building the boat along with his wives, their wives and sons. And so now let's get started. In ch chapter 3 of 2 Peter in verse 1 and 2, notice what it says. This is now, beloved, the second letter that I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Brethren, you look at verse 1 and 2 and Peter himself has written twice. This is his second letter. He's about to die. He's about to be called to, the, uh, to his heavenly reward. And Peter himself is trying to encourage and motivate these first century Christians in a time of despair, in a time of discouragement, in a time of when people are being in prison, people are being martyred for their faith. And he's doing this because he's trying to make sure that as he knows his life is coming to an end, he's leaving them these reminders, these letters that they could fall back on, that they could return to in order to strengthen their faith in times of weakness. Do we ever face times of weakness in our faith? And where, do we, where are we supposed to turn during times of weakness? To the Gospels. We turn to the New Testament, the letters that the Holy Spirit guide his apostles had left behind for future generations. And brethren, when we look at this information here this morning, in verses 1 and 2, it mentions a command in verse 2. A command that was left beforehand by the prophets, by the, uh, the fathers who had come before, by the, uh, the apostles of Jesus Christ. And that commandment, uh, the commandment that the prophets of old and the apostles of Jesus Christ that command simply stated uh, that we are to remain faithful. Remain faithful no matter the opposition. Did Jesus have to remain faithful? Did Jesus uh, suffer persecution? Was Jesus mocked? Was Jesus, did they try to uh, martyr him? Did, were they always looking for ways to bring about his demise? And yet he had to remain faithful. He had to remain steadfast. And we, as his disciples, are to do the same. Brethren, in the same way, Jesus told his disciples that they needed to be faithful until the end. And back in Matthew chapter 10, if they ever uh, wish to receive the crown of life. We are to remain faithful until the end if we ever wish to receive the crown of life. And then you get to verses 3 through 7. And notice what it says. Now this first of all, brethren, know this first of all, that the last days mockers are going to come in. They will come with their mocking and they will following after their own strong desires. There's lust, it tells us. And saying, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all continues just as it has been from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice, brethren, that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth 
are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Well, what is, it, what is Peter trying to tell these early Christians and likewise future generations in verses 3 through 7? Brethren, he is trying to tell us that these Christians should not be discouraged on account of the persecution that they are suffering because of their beliefs. Well, why is that? Because Jesus had warned us. He warned the early disciples that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He tells us that we should expect these things. So when they happen, you can say, oh yeah, Jesus spoke of that. And he also spoke how we are to, be, how we are to remain faithful and vigilant and ready, always being ready to give an account of the hope that is in us. For what purpose? To bring about change in somebody else's life? To bring about repentance in the life of a sinner? So hopefully they could see the hope that is in us, even though we live in difficult times? Even though we live in an era that Christianity is being mocked once again here in the 21st century? Even though our churches and the pews are emptier and emptier every year that has gone on since the early 60s? Christianity in the Church of Christ in this country, like I spoke about a couple months ago, is in a decline in the United States. It will continue to be in a decline until we decide to step up. We decide to do something about it. We decide to be ready to go out into our communities, to teach them about the love of Jesus Christ, to teach them about forgiveness, to teach them about all that the Gospels teach. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has called us to go out into the world, to make disciples, teaching them to remember uh, all that God has taught in all situations. Brothers and sisters, you look at this and then you get to verse 8 and 9. Notice what it says. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. For the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for you to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And when I think of that, it kind of makes me think of Noah. It kind of makes me think of Noah going back to the, uh, to the time when he called Noah to build an ark because he was going to bring about a flood. He was going to destroy everything on this planet, in the known world. And yet, what do we think happened? Noah is building an ark in an area of the land or area of the world that's more of a desert. And they didn't get probably any rain. And so we see that he's a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. He's building the boat. He's trying to get people to repent. And what do we know? Ten years go by. Twenty years go by. Hey, Noah, how's that boat going, buddy? Man, it feels like we might get some precipitation today. It's looking a little cloudy. It might be the day. Well, 30 years go by. 40 years, 50 years, 70, 80, 90. You get the point. Do you think there was probably some mocking? There's a flood coming. And he's building this gigantic boat. And there's no precipitation. And yet, one day, what do we know? God said, today's the day. Today's the day. He sent the rains. He sent the floods. And only eight souls were spared. And everything else on planet Earth was destroyed. All life was lost. And in like manner, the ark of Noah is kind of like the church today. We have to accept Jesus Christ. We have to repent of our sins. We have to be baptized. And we are saved through water. 
Because that's where we contact the blood of Christ. Just like eight souls were saved safely through water, the scriptures tell us, we likewise are saved through baptism. That's what it teaches us in Peter, in the letters of Peter. And so, brethren, you look at this information here this morning, and Peter's providing an answer to those who challenged these early Christians by saying, hey, where's this Jesus of yours? What's going on? Because all things continue to, to be as they were. I haven't seen uh, Jesus come back yet. It's been, a, it's been a couple decades. What's going on, guys? Brethren, what do we know? It says in this verse, in verse 8, uh, or verse, uh, yeah, verse 8. Do not let this one fa uh, fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord a, a, a thousand years is like one day, and one day is like a thousand years. Mockers and false teachers are going to point to the evil in the world. They're going to appoint to the injustices in the world, the tragedies in the world, and they're going to say, if your God exists, he must not be a very good God. Because if your God is a loving God, why are all these injustices? Why are there all these diseases? Why are these all, all this evil that is constantly going out? Either there's a God and he doesn't care, or he doesn't exist. That's the reason why, brethren, that we must remain steadfast because we remember the word of God. We go back to the word of God in the days of trouble. And we remember two things. First and foremost, all things that are going to happen are going to happen according to whose time frame? God's time frame. We don't know when God's coming back. It might not be for another 2,000 years. But you remain faithful. Because the end is near. Well, how can you say the end is near, Dave, if there might be another 2,000 years? Because the end is near so as close as your death is. You only get to live 50, 60, maybe 80, 90 years if you're lucky, maybe 100. And guess what? You stand before God in judgment. Is the end near? Absolutely, the end is near. The, uh, 100 human years is like a blink of the eye to God. And so we understand, brethren, and as we look at this and we look at the first uh, the aspect about these two things, only God knows when the time frame and the, of his final purpose is going to come to an end. Ten human years or a hundred human years to accomplish his purpose seems like a long time. I was, when I was uh, back in Tennessee last week, I was at a Bible study. A uh, Bible study, and they were talking about the life of Sarah. And we were examining the life of Sarah. And they were saying that, you know, uh, was she unfaithful or was she just impatient? But really, you could sympathize with Sarah. Because you're going to have a baby. That's awesome. I've been wanting one. Five years go by. Ten years go by. Fifteen years go by. How long? Twenty-five years went by. Do you think there would be some doubt creeping in? Well, brethren, it's the same when we look at this with the, with the word of God. All things are going to happen according to God's time frame. And then we also know that God is patient. God is not, uh, he, uh, he's, he's slow in regards to his judgment. He's not indifferent, but he's slow, he's patient with us. Why? Because he desires for us to repent. He desires for us to turn away from the sin in our lives. He doesn't want us to perish. But we also know that God is patient because he knows when you perish, it's for an eternity. So it's to our advantage that it takes him a little longer to come back. Because we still got friends and family members who are lost. We still got co-workers who are lost. And whole communities of people who are lost. And so we need extra time. 
to get our act together and to help others get their act together. So he is patient towards us. And then it makes me think of uh, verse 10, and it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He'll come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. Brethren, the recipients of Peter's letters should not doubt that the time of the judgment is going to come, because when it comes, it's going to be sudden. That's why it mentions a thief. Because if somebody knew when the thief was coming, they'd be prepared. God doesn't want us to be prepared and know the date because he wants us to live faithfully. He wants us to live faithfully unto him and unto his word and unto his commands. How many people do you think, if we knew that the world's going to end in 2075 at 3 p.m., aren't going to wait to that same day, if you're not living that long, to like 235 I think I'm going to start to live for God now. Because I want to get on the boat, so to speak. I guarantee you that's human nature. That's exactly what we would do. And if you say no, you're probably lying to yourself. Or maybe you'll live a little faithfully for a while, but then you're like, yeah, man, you know, I really got about 15, 20 more years. I'm good. But no, you're not, because you don't know when you're going to die. Your life, your life is like a vapor. Here one second, gone the next. Don't worry, Tyler, I'm keeping an eye on that clock back there. I got time, right? I got time. I'm good. And so we look at the word of God here this morning, brethren. We know that it will be sudden, meaning his return. And we know that it will be complete, meaning that everything is going to be burnt up. And then we get to verses 11 through 13. And it says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt away with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Brethren, here Peter repeats his original appeal. By reminding these early Christians that these things are going to happen, and they should be faithful. And it says in verse 11... What sort of people are you, should you ought to be? People who are holy in conduct? People who are constantly having godliness on their mind and thinking of ways that they can improve upon their faith? And that process, that series of steps that makes you more spiritual, that makes you more discerned, that makes you more pleasing in God's sight? We should constantly be on this journey. Journey of improvement, self-improvement, according to God's standards and his way of doing things. And th their faithfulness will be demonstrated through their holy conduct. Brothers and sisters, we also now, as we move forward, we know that we need to be faithful, but we also need to know that we need to be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? It means you need to show through your life the good deeds, good works. I should be able to tell by how somebody lived their life as a non-Christian, and now if they're a Christian, how they live their lives. I should be able to see uh, the, the Christ working in them. I should be able to see the, re the fruit of repentance. I should be able to see a changed mindset, a changed uh, way of talking, a changed way of entertaining themselves. We should be able to see the fruit in their lives. Brethren, you cannot be faithful unless you're fruitful. Doesn't James talk about something about works? Right? Our faith is dead without works. You cannot be faithful without being fruitful. 
This mantra that Peter begins, and he, he begins this letter with, and he also ends this letter with. The way to remain faithful until the end is not to just wait around to the end, but to continue to grow in word and deed. How do you grow in word and deed? You spend time in Holy Writ. You read the scriptures, and you then actually apply the scriptures to your very lives. And then once you get your life worked out, and you're starting to become the man or the woman or the child of God that God needs you to be, then you start to help your neighbor. You start to help your spouse. You start to help your children. And you do all that God has called us to do. Why? Because that's how we show the world the love that God has for his creation. Why do we sacrifice? Why do we uh, exhibit agape-type love? Because we want the world to see how much God has loved them by how much he loves us, by the changes and the sacrifices that we make on behalf of his eternal kingdom, and on behalf of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And then you get to verse 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, beloved, see, since you look for these things. He says, I need you to be diligent. He says, I need you to be diligent to be found by him in peace. I need you to be spotless and blameless. And regard that the patience of the Lord as salvation. Brothers and sisters, since Christians look forward to the end, and since we should uh, cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, you guys remember the fruit of the Spirit, don't you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. As we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our very lives, we'll exhibit fruit that is pleasing in the sight of God. Our lives will be a fruitful sacrifice unto the Lord, a pleasing aroma that goes up into God. So when we pray, our prayers are not hindered because God sees us walking faithfully and fruitfully according to his ways. Brethren, the word diligent here is the second time it's used. It's the second time it's used, and it simply means you've got to work at it. Anybody here thinks Christianity is easy? It's not easy. It's not easy to turn the other cheek. It's not easy to go to the extra mile. It's not easy to forgive those who look to bring about your demise. It's not easy to forgive those who will slander and mock you. It's not easy to do most of the things that we're called to do. But you've got to do them anyways. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And we're his disciples. And as we continue to grow in our, and develop in our faith, we need to be at peace with God. And we, we're at peace with God when we're first at peace with men. We're at peace with God when we show the love of God to mankind. And we're willing to forgive and to love and to forget. Just like God has done. And brethren, we need to live a pure and holy life. And then I think of verses 15 through 18. And you look at the second half of verse 15. It says, Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, and also in all his letters, speaking in them, these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught, the unstable, distort, as they also do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this for, beforehand, be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Brethren, verse 18, and we close this letter with, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as you grow, and as you apply, and as you cultivate your faith, brethren, spread the word of God. Spread that faith out into other communities. The fields are white unto harvest. 
but the laborers are surely few. Brethren, we live in a country of over 330 million individuals, and in the churches of Christ, we only have a million. You think the, uh, the fields are white unto harvest? Absolutely. We need some workers to go out to the fields. To do what? To bring about faith. To bring about repentance. Because in Acts 17 that I mentioned in Bible study this morning, God says the time of ignorance are over. He's now calling all people everywhere to repent of the sin in their lives. Not what the world calls sin, but what God calls sin. And we need to live according to his holy and righteous standard. Brethren, these same things that Peter writes to these early Christians about are the same things essentially that the Apostle Paul wrote about. That's why the Apostle Paul is mentioned in the Apostle Peter's writings. He's saying, yes, there are some things that are hard to understand, but they're not impossible. You can understand them, but it's going to take some diligence. It's going to take some hard work. It's going to take some study on your part. But you can understand it. Brethren, Peter encourages them to accept Paul's writings as authoritative and not to be seduced by the false teachers who not only teach false doctrine, but pervert the teachings of those early apostles. Brethren, as I get ready to close this lesson down, being fruitful means to grow in this kind of knowledge and grace of the Lord. The kind of knowledge and grace of the Lord that is obedience. Do you know what it means to have a biblical faith? It means you first and foremost believe, you trust in the promises of God, you don't doubt, and then you live obediently unto the Lord. That is biblical faith. You can't have biblical faith unless you have all three of those things working in harmony with, uh, with one another. You've got to have belief, you've got to have trust, and you've got to have obedience. That is biblical faith. And growth in the knowledge of God and His blessings guarantees a successful and pleasing faith in the sight of God. And Christians in the first century and in the 21st century will be welcomed unto God if we live with a true biblical faith. For Christians being ready, it means two things, as I said. We need to be faithful and we need to be fruitful. 2,000 years have gone by and still the Lord has not come. But God still calls us to be, remain faithful because he is patient towards us, not desiring for anybody to perish, but for all of us to turn away from the sin in our lives and to turn to God. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is once again in this uh, 21st century. We're being mocked. We're being discarded. We're being persecuted. And what will our response be? If you're mocked, persecuted, no matter what, how severe it may be, are you going to be, remain faithful like those first century saints? Are you going to remain faithful with an attitude that says, I don't care if it takes Jesus another 10,000 years. However many years I have left, I will be faithful. I can't control Pat or Lewis or Butchie or anybody else in this auditorium. But I know who I can control. I can control me. I'm only in control of my heart, my mind. My soul, I can influence, I can encourage, but I can't make somebody be what they don't want to be. But you, you can. You can be, choose to be who you want to be. And if you choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you live obedient, and you do all that God calls you to do, you're going to be like a bright, shining star in society. You're going to be like a bright light that people are going to be attracted to you. They're not even going to know why they're attracted to you. But they'll know that there's sin in their lives. They're going to see your clean, holy, righteous living. And they're going to see that your lifestyle is vastly different than my lifestyle. 
And they're going to want to know more about your Jesus. You're going to have a hope. And you're going to have an opportunity to teach them about the love of Christ. To teach them about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And how it's in Christ Jesus, in his sacrifice, that we find hope and we find salvation. Brethren, today is the day. If you are not living according to the will of God, today is the day that you could choose to change that. We must be fruitful in patience, fruitful in knowledge, fruitful in holy living, in perseverance, in godliness, in brotherly kindness, and in love. Brethren, if you have become discouraged, if you have become unfaithful, if you have become unfruitful, you could change that today. You don't have to remain in that way. You could choose to change. You can choose to improve. You can choose to become better and to become more faithful and fruitful in Christ Jesus. If that is what you're not today, you can come forward. Elders are here today. They'll come down here today and they'll pray with you. They'll meet with you. They'll talk with you. They'll help you to put a plan in place to have a deeper, stronger, more committed, committed faith that is pleasing unto God. If you're not a child of God and that is your desire here today, why don't you come forward to be baptized for the remission of your sins? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. Come forward as Lewis sings the song of invitation.